Welcome to the Standard of Truth podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont and Professor Richard LaDuke explore the early history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the life and teachings of Prophet Joseph Smith. They examine the original historical sources and provide context for events of the past. They approach the history of the Church with faith, expertise, and humor. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Standard of Truth podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont, and I'm joined by my friend, Professor Richard LaDuke. Hello, Garrett. Uh, in this podcast, we're just going to jump straight into the Phoebe Draper mailbag here. We've got uh, we several... Have no, we have no betting lines. We have no... Well... We've, okay. we've got a lot of letters. Well, I mean, we, we do have the over-under of wins for NFL teams. Uh, there's a couple things that I, I feel very strongly about. How are the Raiders looking with no quarterback? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Raiders are at uh, six and a half uh, games right now. Just off the top of my head, uh, I've, I heard someone half, someone was seems, mumbling that in the hall. I believe six and a half seems pretty specific to not know you, what's going on. Tell you, te- Texans are also at six and a half, and uh, I always take the under on the Texans. Uh, in hypothetically, if I were to, I'd like right, to refer right, people to right. what about the Lions? Where are they at? Conference address on gambling. Uh, the Lions. Um, it's a good question. Um, I don't know, actually. But whatever it is, yeah, nine and a half. They're wow, nine and a half. That, that's yeah. playoffs. That well, is playoffs. It's playoff edges. Well, I mean, uh, they they have golf now, right? He had a good year yeah. last year. He played well. Um, inside, outside, they're they're doing well. Their line looks yeah. great. Thank you for joining the Standard of Truth football podcast. Like I said, we're going to get straight to the Phoebe Draper mailbag. <laughs> I would I would hit under on the on the Texans hard. I would I'm hit that hit hard. over on the lines. You heard it. Get here. out of here. You heard no, here. There, there's no way they win ten games this year. Who's Not in their division? The Bears. I say that the because Vikings. he's a Bears fan. The Bears cleaned up in the draft. Yes, so. and if all Justin of them Fields, are suddenly amazing. <laughs> All right, uh, like I said, right into the Phoebe Draper mailbag. This uh, email comes to us from Truman. Uh, the subject line, Shower of Glossolalia. Wow, just a playoff of our most recent podcast. It is. Um, during my mission in Brazil, there was no central water heaters. So shower heads had a heating element built in and would plug into an outlet on the wall and, the heat, and heat the water as it leaves the faucet. And w- yeah, in one of my apartments, the wires were slightly exposed, and being in Brazil, the shower height was lower than typical American showers. It was a very common occurrence for us to accidentally touch a wire while washing our hair oh. and being given the gift of tongues, usually in four-letter words. Like, ouch. Is ouch? Ouch is force. I'm guessing something like, oh, no. (laughs) Uh, But at least we had baptisms, unlike the remote places of Wisconsin. Oh, touche. Touche, Truman. Yeah, yeah, Truman. uh, First of all, great name, Truman. Uh, Second of all, yes. I think the, the, the gift of tongues we were speaking of in the last episode excluded the kind that happened. When, when you would shout out in Brazil, did oxen just start coming up to your door? Yeah, that's the question. Was there a Norwegian involved? <laughs> yeah. This next email comes to us from some senior missionaries in Spain. Um, if you want to... Which we, we have a growing presence in Spain. We actually do. Except I believe uh, these folks are friends of our first premium listener, Tammy. 
Tammy Thomas. Yeah. Uh, we are currently serving as senior missionaries in Spain just before we left Utah. Um, we met a former co-worker of, of one of the sister, senior sister missionary here who was friends with Tammy Thomas, who recommended our podcast. They said that they loved the lectures and subsequently purchased uh, Garrett's book where he, where he makes uh, zero, zero dollars yes. in royalties yeah. on. That's quite the negotiation that the, you had well, there, Garrett. I didn't have a business PhD friend <laughs> yet. He was only a business master. <laughs> had he the PhD in hand, he could have said, hey, you know, Garrett, we're so close, by the way. Yeah. Three, four, five years away. And then after that, I'll have to write how many more books. <laughs> I am just going to chain you to a typewriter. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the amount of books I have to write for it to become financially viable are many. They are legion. They are legion. It yeah. is an infinite number. Uh, it's a sideways eight number of books. <laughs> Our, uh, so um, their son... Uh, who was a return missionary, Temple married, uh, left the church, and they were obviously devastated yeah, by horrible. that. And they said that your lectures were very helpful to them. Uh, they spend lots of time driving between distant cities in Spain. Uh, hopefully, they're in the only true mission in Spain, the Barcelona mission. But if not, uh, I'm sure other missions are, are also fine. I've mentioned this before. My mission president, Riverside, California, he would say that all the time. The only true mission, number one, Riverside, California. Wow. A lot of yeah. mission nationalism. <laughs> Quite. Ours was like, pretty sure all the other missions are better than we are. And then we were like, yeah, they are. Uh, we always look forward to listening to an episode or two of the podcast while en route. We have learned so much and are so grateful for all of your efforts in putting this together in such an interesting and entertaining way. We started at the beginning, and so far we're up to July 7th of 2022. Oh, so you just got to the why uh, Latter-day Saints hate the I did uh, American not, no, government July no, 4th extravaganza Richard, episode. Richard likes he, – you can tell he's a politician at heart. He wants to take my words and twist them around. <laughs> I only explain – Garrett Dirk Mott says yeah. the Mormons hate yeah, America. And it's all black and white, you know, and it's not even a picture of me. It's like a Photoshopped image of me, and, you know, and I'm like holding a cat by its tail or something like that. These Mormons, yeah. It's just like every black and white uh, campaign ad. We can't wait to hear what's coming up. Hey, spoiler alert, it's going to we, we kind of run through our material no, by the we, end of we, August in twenty twenty two. Rapidly dropped off a cliff. In fact, this episode's all gonna be the Phoebe Draper mailbag. We're just gonna <laughs> read emails. Uh, we'd be interested. Oh, well, this is interesting, Garrett. I wonder how this made it into the rotation. We'd be interested uh, in any upcoming church history tours ah. after our mission concludes February 2024. Well, that's just how about do we the get right information time. about this? Oh my goodness. Well, well, well. First of all, as Richard has it, now, I would let Richard tell you the dates of our tours next year, but I know that they'll be August wrong. 13th. No. <laughs> it's not. The first two weeks of June. Yes, the first yeah. full two weeks of June. We're going to start off in uh, Gettysburg. Well, not we're not flying to we're Gettysburg. We're flying. We're flying direct. No, in we're going on a, to Fort. Prop. We go to <laughs> we go to Fort McHenry first. We don't fly oh. to Gettysburg. Sure, we fly to Baltimore to Baltimore, where people are known to not pronounce their. They L's. swallow their L's. Yes, call it Baltimore. We'll call it Baltimore. So we're gonna go into Baltimore. Baltimore, Baltimore Maryland. Uh, Fort McKinley. Fort McHenry. Where are we going? Fort, Fort McHenry? Fort McKinley. We're, we're going up to Mount just, McKinley, <laughs> now Denali. This is the reason why Richard can't tell anyone about the, about the trip. 
We are flying into Baltimore, and then we're going to go to Fort McHenry. Ah, yes. Yes. And then we're going to go to... Gettysburg. Gettysburg, yes. And then we're going to go to Harmony, and then Fayette, and then... Palmyra, and then Kirtland. Kirtland, and all the, playing all the hits. Yep. So that'll be the first week, the first full week in June, and we anticipate having that up to be able to purchase, um, put your deposit down and On walk in your spot. standardoftruth.com. Standardoftruth.com. Uh, so you'll be able to lock that in in a couple of weeks, so uh, in August. Uh, wow, you're really over-promising here. Yes. So this is going to come out... In August. In August. Yeah. So so people are going to hear this and immediately go to the website because that's when it comes out. Uh, so it's kind of like burning out. your ships, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. You know what? We're gonna we're, we're for. <laughs> yeah, it's happening. No, so we'll, we'll have that up in a in a couple of weeks. It'll be the, probably the second or third week in August. We'll have that up and available for people to start to purchase, which will be very nice. Uh, certainly by the end of August, we'll have that ready to go. And then the second week of June, we'll be going from. Then we'll be going to from Fort, Kansas City Fort McKinley. No, no, we're never going to Fort McKinley. We'll be, we'll be going from Kansas City, which is Independence, and then uh, all the Missouri sites. Uh, we will have to put out a disclaimer. Garrett gets angry when we're in Missouri. He does. You see and, angry Garrett. Yeah, well, just murdering people. Anyway, um, so we'll do the Missouri sites and then head up to Illinois and go to Nauvoo. Yep. So that's the second week, the yep. second tour. Yep. yep. And we, we'll end with a little uh, uh, anti-Mormon President uh, Lincoln and then down to St. Louis. We will stop at the Lincoln Museum, which is incredible if you haven't been there. And we will also... Uh, go to his tomb, and we won't, we won't, we won't say too much about it. Does it does go? You talk about this all the time, right? Like these these are three dimensional characters, and right. and that can both do incredible, amazing things, and also pass the first anti Mormon yeah. legislation I mean, look, ever. Abraham Lincoln's my favorite president, and also <laughs> signed the first federal anti Mormon bill in American history. And it, and the reasons are connected. Then well, that's why he's your favorite. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually a fifth column. <laughs> I needed Lincoln to point it out for me. So yeah, it, it it people are complex, and so we can talk about some of their great aspects as well as maybe not as great at a, at times. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the email goes on. Uh, also, we're interested in subscribing to the podcast. Does this benefit you? How do we do this? You bet it does. Yeah, um, well, yeah, it benefits us for sure. I yes, mean, it yes. Apple, Apple takes about eighty-five uh, percent, and, and then, and then we throw, get the table drop, scraps. The trippings. <laughs> so, so uh, depending on how you listen, if you listen on an Apple device, you can just uh, simply on the podcast you can subscribe to the. You can click the link to subscribe to the content, um, and then if you listen. Um, on an Android device, the way you'll need to listen to get to the premium is you'll need to listen through Spotify. That's correct. Um, we are in the intolerable acts right now on Condemned to Repeat It. We're talking about Palmyra in uh, the, the... Crinkling Leaves. It's uh, holy not called Crinkling Holy leaves. places from our past. And then we also have mm. Joseph Smith and the Restoration. And we're, we're about almost to, to Mount Martin Luther. We've, we've done a dozen episodes and we're about to talk about Lutheranism. We'll, we're not going to get Joseph this year. Well, maybe. 
Maybe. You know what? December. We might. We'll say the name Joseph. Well, the whole point of that actually is um, people like to get information in different ways. And uh, we've gotten some feedback that it would be nice if things were in a chronological order. So kind of start with the apostasy and we're progressing through to better contextualize what Joseph Smith is coming into when he's a, a young boy praying yeah. for his and we, soul. We've done some of this on the, the free podcast, as you, as you will remember, since you've gone through some of these. Um, but we're trying to do it in a more system, systematic way on the premium content, just for people who prefer this kind of chronological rather than topical approach. Yep. Um, next email here, we have, hello. I, I'm glad Rex's elders quorum president told us yeah, what, that he's fine with it from now on. So yeah, we don't have to worry what, about what are we into this thing? It doesn't matter. Okay. He doesn't care anymore. He said he was only trying to warn Rex because he thought Rex would run for the hills. Um, hello, Garrett and Richard. Let me start with an apology. First of all, we appreciate it. We always yeah. like it when people start with an apology. The reason why I need to apologize, and, and by the way, the reason I'm reading this email, I just love the way that, uh, that I believe this is Sherry here. Yeah. I love the way that she describes the, email, the, the podcast episode where we did her where you answered her question. When I say we answered her, I, I haven't answered a question yeah, yet. Richard's very supportive. Other than the Texans are at six and a half. Um, you did a <laughs> that pod. That seems high. It seems Honestly, so, it does seem high. Saying, seems so high. Who, who's QBing for them? I, I don't know. They drafted somebody. I don't know. Okay, yeah, it's way lower. I haven't started that. paying attention. Okay, let's do a parlay on that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, a parlay for those that are listening. <laughs> <laughs> can find multiple games or teams into multiple uh, yeah. bets, which again, we would not support in any way. No, but if I were to like but take you the hit over those, on then the lines the general the under odds. on the Texans. That's right. Yeah. You did a podcast answering a question that I emailed you. The podcast was back in January and hopefully you still remember it. It was the one about Brigham Young and John Taylor, never friends. Here is my thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to answer my question. I love the fact that I have my very own podcast and I've listened to it more times than I care to admit. In my podcast, it was the first time I heard you calling yourself a dream crusher. <laughs> oh, well, it, it's a recurring theme. <laughs> uh, please let me just assure you that none of my dreams have been crushed. I was happy to learn that the theory of Brigham Young and John Taylor not liking each other was unlikely. Not only that, I'm sure grandma would feel the same way. I'd like to think that by now she has had the chance to ask them personally. Also, in my podcast, you challenged me to give you an answer or give you another topic for a pointless podcast. So on to the question. <laughs> it may be too much to hope that one person such as myself might get another question answered since you get so many uh, however, this question is easy. I think even Garrett could answer it in five minutes. That's funny. Wow. Even Garrett even could Garrett, answer well, what a, even, what a, yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that even people who can't answer questions won't yeah. answer this. First of all, so so I'm going to get to the, the question here. But what I loved about this, Sherry, is that you called it your episode. I, I loved the idea of that. I love the idea of a person sending in an email on a question, either that they've always wondered or maybe you've been struggling with or a family member has. As long and, as it's not about polygamy. And that Garrett uh, addresses it and that you can you you have a feeling of ownership to it. That's that's actually one of the things that the reason that we do the the mailbag the way we do, other than to when people suggest some of our promotional items <laughs> to plug those in. But it's it's a great it's a great uh, your sentiment is is great and it actually is exactly what we're trying to to have here. All right, so on to the question. 
Another thing that you mentioned in the podcast was the Brigham Young papers. This got me thinking about this and the Joseph Smith papers. Could you maybe take a minute, just five scare, okay. and, and explain to someone who doesn't know what exactly the Joseph Smith papers are? I know there are books and there is a website. What is the difference between the published books and the website? I thought to myself before that someday I would want to read them, <laughs> but then a quick internet search tells me there are 27 volumes. I don't expect that I will yeah. you gotta ever want read it. them all. No, you, <laughs> you got to want to You got to dig deep, Sherry. <laughs> I have also heard it said the Joseph Smith papers are for scholars. Uh, so how would an ordinary non-scholarly person who has an interest in church history use the Joseph Smith papers? And now there will be the Brigham Young papers. Will it be the same with a website and published books? Will all of the prophets have their own papers project someday? I... Um, so yes, thank you, Sherry, for the for the question, Garrett. Well, like there's a lot of questions in there. Um, so let's what first, are the Joseph Smith papers? Yeah, and... let's start off with what they are, and you know, kind of the difference between the volumes and the website. Um, the Joseph Smith papers is a decades long uh, project. This design was to publish in some format, either on the internet or in the books every single Joseph Smith document. Now, that's, of course, impossible because we find Joseph Smith documents here and there once in a while, right? Oh, here's a here's a note that Joseph signed, you know. Um, but as, at least as comprehensively as possible. And the print volumes, they fall into several different categories. You'll notice this, that the, the, the biggest category is that documents volume category. These are the different documents of Joseph Smith, meaning these are letters that he wrote. These are letters that he received. So it's not just a letter he wrote. If Emma wrote Joseph a letter, that's something that we would feature in there as well. They're certainly used by scholars, but they can certainly be used by members of the church who are trying to gain their own understanding and, and frankly, build their own testimonies. So what would you do? Let's say we have a letter that Emma writes to Joseph Smith. There will be a lot of things in that letter that if all you read was the letter, they may not make a whole lot of sense to you. Emma might mention someone in the letter that you don't know who that is. And so you just kind of breeze over that and keep going. She might say, oh, little Frederick's fine. Uh, who's Frederick, right? I mean, uh, and and you would have to go try to figure it out. here. Well, the scholars have gone and They've done research on what the letter is about, why it was written, who is being mentioned at every stage. So the footnotes throughout the letter are saying things like, oh, when she references this, what she really means is this. And they're doing that for all of Joseph Smith's documents. So those are all of the minutes of the meetings that he was in, all of the sermons that he gave that we have record of, all of the revelations, both published and unpublished. I mean, obviously, we have the published ones in the uh, the Doctrine and Covenants, many people are well familiar with those Joseph Smith revelations, but we provide annotation to those as well and a historical introduction so that people know what was going on at the time that this revelation was received. Why is the revelation talking, you know, specifically to Martin Harris? What has Martin Harris done? The answer is always something, right? And so uh, there's a, a great need to talk to Martin Harris. Um, so the plan was, to give these, all of these documents the kind of treatment that we give to our presidents of the United States, right? That 
the George Washington papers do the same thing for George Washington. They contain all of the letters he wrote, all of the things, his diaries, journal entries, things like that. Only the Joseph Smith papers provide an even deeper scholarly evaluation of it. When you read the John Adams papers, for instance, you might go one or two pages of a document before you get a, a, a substantial footnote trying to help the reader understand something. If you read the Joseph Smith papers, you won't go two lines before you get a footnote that is sometimes quite substantial trying to tell you where that's coming from. Now, if you're somebody who just wants, so if you're asking what the difference is between the online and the volumes, there are, the volumes themselves, obviously, once they're printed, they can't be changed unless they're reprinted. So if we find another document, well, it's not in there. So the, the website will have more items on it because of that. But second of all, the website will contain many other uh, things that won't be published in the volume. So for instance, Joseph signs a whole bunch of deeds when he's in Nauvoo because he's one of the people distributing the lands, right? We don't feature every single deed he signed in the papers. We feature one of them and then say, there's a whole bunch more of these and you can go to the internet and find them on josephwithpapers.org. I will say, I will say for myself, um, you know, as a, as a, you know, a would be scholar uh, myself, Garrett. Well, you're uh, about to be a doctor. Well, I mean, if you want to talk about, you know, relationship ambiguities impact on prospective buyer engagement in an implied referral setting, I I'm, might be able to I, help I think you. actually that's what Sherry just asked. I think it is. Yeah. However, as it relates to history, I don't know. I don't know anything. I don't know anything about anything. Um, but there is something that I that I use them for specifically, which is which is really really great. So there's the there's the quote attributed to Joe Smith, I believe, and Garrett. Correct me, Garrett. Of course, will correct me if I'm wrong. It's the uh, I have a key by which I understand the scriptures. I inquire what was the question that drew out the answer or caused Jesus to utter the parable. It's a it's a beautiful statement by Joseph Smith. And for me, that's kind of how I use the Joseph Smith's papers, specifically in my own personal study of the Doctrine and Covenants. As I am reading a section or verse from them, there's great power just in the words that are there. But when I understand greater context of what's happening, who is being spoken to and what's going on, then those scriptures take on a new life and I gain additional insight. So for me, that's how I use the Joseph Smith papers online. And when we get to, yeah. you know, um, 2025 and we're studying the Doctrine and Covenants again, that'll be a great tool, Sherry, that you can use as you study the Doctrine and Covenants. Yeah, the Joseph Smith papers online is a great resource. I mean, so for instance, you might, a great way is, you know, sometimes you'll hear people say things like, well, you know, Joseph Smith said this. Well, well, did he say it? Right. So one way that you can figure it out is you can go to the Joseph Smith papers and you can do a search for that topic. And it will bring up every single place in any of those documents all throughout his life that he mentioned that topic. And um, maybe he didn't say it exactly the way that someone said that he did. Or maybe he didn't say it at all. And it was someone later, someone saying, oh, yes, Joseph said this. So if I was trying to really get a handle on church history and I wanted to know more, a great place to start is by reading the saints' volumes. The saints' volumes are designed to kind of pick people up whatever level they're at and help tell the story from the beginning to the end. Now, because it's telling a story, because it's trying to keep on the narrative, it's not going to have all kinds of detail. But as you're reading the saints' volumes... 
you might have other questions like, oh, really? I wonder who else, you know, what else talked about that? The footnotes that are in there will often guide you back to the Joseph Smith papers. And, and there are some things that you can study that are easier than others and, and to gain a, a good idea of, of the papers. For instance, there are three volumes of Joseph Smith's journals. People seem to find that reading Joseph's journals are fairly easy to do. They're daily entries. I mean, when he's keeping it, uh, he gets a lot better at keeping his journal when he's not keeping it and someone's <laughs> keeping it for him. Sounds a lot like me, but um, you can go through that. You can read through the, 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 uh, the daily journal entries and you'll get a much better understanding, especially this is very key when you're using the Joseph Smith papers written volumes. You need to read the introductions and you need to read the footnotes because that's where all the learning happens. That's where you learn, oh, you know, so Joseph's journal will mention something and the footnote will say, Joseph taught a sermon about this topic two weeks earlier and, you know, came back to it this week. Things like that that help you understand Joseph as a person and the, the context of other events that are going on at the time. Those, you know, those journal volumes are great. The first three documents volume. Now, look, all the documents volumes are great, but I know you're thinking, I don't think I can read all of those. Okay, okay. The first documents volume, documents volume one, contains the first 56 sections of the Doctrine and Covenants in it, right? So if I was trying to prep myself for the year we do Doctrine and Covenants, well, that's a great place to start, um, in fact, the first three will take you through, you know, most actually of the sections of the Doctrine and Covenants, and you'll be able to see the other things that are going on, the context in which most of those revelations are received. Now, the website has all of the information that is in the books if you click on the historical introduction tab on each of the documents that you click on, except for the most recent books that have been published. So things from 1844. Uh, those documents, you won't have all of the annotation up there yet. That'll still just be in the book form. But those are the differences between the two. Uh, as it relates to the Brigham Young papers, the Brigham Young Center Foundation is actually publishing its first volume of Brigham Young papers. Um, I was a, a part of that. Uh, we published the journals of Brigham Young all the way up through the Nauvoo period. And again, it's, it's a lot like Joseph's. There are some that Brigham keeps himself, and they're very short and sporadic. And then eventually Brigham gets a secretary, and the entries get longer and they get better. Um, the, the main difference between the two is the Joseph Smith Papers project was a project that was both partially funded and spearheaded by the church itself. Um, and so it was housed at the church, and it was being done by employees of the church history library. The Brigham Young Center Foundation wants to, at least in a limited fashion, publish many of Brigham's journals, some of his letters and sermons. Now, it's very difficult to do because there are 100,000 Brigham Young papers. There's 12,000 Joseph Smith papers and 100,000 Brigham Young ones. So just think about that in scope. There's essentially 10 times as many papers of Brigham Young as there are of Joseph Smith. So it would take a massive endowment. So, I mean, look. If we do have any billionaires listening, in fact, you know, I'd take a couple hundred millionaires. Um, actually, no, you know? Garrett. Okay, no, yeah. only billionaires. Are there are there millionaires listening to us? There are not. Okay. Um, for those of you millionaires not listening to us, <laughs> it really is something that that you know 
I would love to see all of the prophets have their papers. Now, you should be aware that there is another private foundation that is trying to do the same thing with the Wilfred Woodruff papers, make all of them available online. Now, they're not going to be published in book form, at least that's not the plan yet, but it is a great resource to go to. If you haven't read Wilfred Woodruff's journal, you are missing out on understanding some awesome aspects of your history. Now, it's pretty daunting because he takes keeping a journal seriously, unlike myself. And he keeps a daily record in his journal, almost daily from 1834 until he dies. I mean, so it, for five decades, six decades, I mean, it's, it's, it's a massive amount of, of entries. But again, there's a search function on their website that you can go search and find certain things. Uh, just the other day, I was using the Wilfred Woodruff Papers website because someone had asked me when it was that Wilfred Woodruff had consecrated on the altar of the Manti Temple the seer stone that Joseph Smith had found. And I couldn't remember exactly what day. I knew it was part of the Manti Temple dedication. Searched it up, found it there in his journal, and, and voila. So they really are resources to help aid you in your study, and it would be great. If, if we do have multimillionaire billionaires listening, I know we don't, but if we did, what greater thing could you do than to create a legacy whereby the modern day prophets of God have their voices heard and people can know them and know that they're prophets of God? The best part about working on the Joseph Smith papers was coming out of it. I wasn't just saying, I think that Joseph Smith's a prophet having read what I've read. Coming out of it, there were many powerful spiritual experiences where it was obvious that the Lord was speaking to us through Joseph Smith, where things he received were completely outside of his abilities and yet disseminated beautiful truths that are, that are life-altering. So I, I think, you know, you can always use the Joseph Smith Papers website as you know, you know, I want to go look up baptism. Let's see what Joseph has to say about baptism. And it'll, it'll give you a whole bunch of things. You type in baptism. So you can use it for that. But you can also use it and the books themselves, especially as you kind of do a more careful study. If you say to yourself, I really want to know more about church history. Well, there are ways to do it. But like everything, you have to put in a little bit of time. That was way more than five minutes. Just under five minutes. Um, uh, the last, the last. Did we e enter a time vortex? <laughs> yeah. Um, the last email here that we'll get to the the meat of uh, whatever the we have that, left. Yeah, the what we have left. We have uh, ten minutes left for the podcast. Subject line: uh, Go pokes and Latter Day temples. I wonder how this person made it through. I mean, yeah. we get dozens of emails, but there's only certain ones that you read on the air. Why would why would an Oklahoma State email be read on the air? I don't know. It's, I thought I thought he asked a really good question. This comes to us from Max, as a lifelong Okie and graduate uh, graduate of Oklahoma. I, I, I graduate. You know what? Oklahoma State. Welcome Oklahoma State. As a graduate, <laughs> yeah, as a graduate, go Pokes of <laughs> Oklahoma State University. I always receive your occasional shout outs to the charming little town of Stillwater with delight. First of all, I love Stillwater, Oklahoma. Oklahoma is a beautiful state and Stillwater is a lovely place. You, you don't fly there, do you? 
Not to, not to still water. You can. I but, fly into Tulsa. But would you have to have like a, a Piper Cub to land No, there? no. Oh. I think they've got a couple of flights that go – like you fly into Dallas and then they've got a connection into Stillwater. I fly into Tulsa and then drive the hour and 15. Anyway, um, I love Oklahoma and love the people of Stillwater. And my favorite uh, restaurant there is a place called The Garage where you get a, a, a sticky finger burger, which is peanut butter – and uh, pickled jalapenos. Um, what, are it's you, what are in, you talking about? It sounds terrible. On a burger? It's delicious. Peanut butter. It's a cheeseburger with okay. pickled jalapenos and pickled jalapeno On radish. On that note, the Standard butter. of Truth website is opening its applications for a new co-host. <laughs> someone who doesn't eat peanut butter on their hamburger. It's it's delicious. You have to try it. I will never try it. Okay. Um I wish you the best of luck as you finish your dissertation. I've now, it's been three years, and I seem further away than closer. Yeah, that's how all dissertations go. <laughs> I look forward to the day that if an occasion uh, to email you and Dr. Dirk Mott ever arises again, I can simply call both of you doctor <laughs> and hope your future uh, and and hope your future PSD, PSD your future PlayStation <laughs> 2 serves you well and provides opportunities benefiting man of your wit, intellect, and likable personality. Oh my gosh, what an incredible email. How did this make it through our, all of the emails that we received? It's a very kind email. Now that I've buttered up the glorified screener, my question is actually <laughs> oh, for okay, Dr. So Dirk know exactly what he did. Yeah, yeah, it's well done. It's classic uh, Pokes logic here. Yeah, bait and switch. Yeah, reading the New Testament for Come Follow Me has me thinking about temples. I know of at least two occasions in the New Testament where ordained ministers in Christ's church apparently preach against the necessity of building and worshiping within temples. When speaking to the Jews, Stephen said, The Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me? Acts 7, 48 through 49. Additionally, Paul the Apostle, when speaking to the Greeks, said, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Acts seventeen twenty four. A surface-level reading of these passages seems to suggest that biblical apostles saw the construction of temples as unnecessary, and seeing that temple building among Christian sects appears to be uniquely Latter-day Saint practice, I assume that most Christians accept this surface-level interpretation. I know that we build temples because the Lord commanded that it be done through modern revelation, but when renewing the commandment to build temples, did the Lord ever address the seeming contradiction between the New Testament and modern scripture? If the Lord himself was silent on the matter, did the prophet Joseph Smith ever explain the true meaning of Stephen and Paul's words? Is there any evidence that temple construction and worship was practiced by early Christians? How did other Christian denominations react to early Latter-day Saint building temples? I realize my email was rather long and includes several questions, but your thoughts and commentary will be greatly appreciated. Thanks, Max. Go Pokes. Garrett, your thoughts? Well, so this actually, I, I received another question that was texted to me. Don't worry, we're not about to put my, my phone number out. You know what? You know, 801. <laughs> What's Richard's phone number? Um, uh, and someone who was uh, researching something similar asked me a similar question. You know, at what point did Joseph Smith realize that he was going to have to build a temple, right? So uh, was his translation of the New Testament or the Old Testament, did that factor in Joseph Smith's 
revelation that he received to to have a temple built, right? So the, the, I think the question they were asking was, did Joseph Smith learn by doing the, the Joseph Smith translation of the Old and New Testament that temples were important and so therefore was conditioned and ready to receive the revelation that said, hey, we're going to build a temple, you know, both in Zion and in Kirtland, which is, you know, that's a fair question to ask. I mean, where, where does Joseph get inspired with this idea to build a temple? Um, so I want to kind of cover both of those and I'm going to cover it with less time than it took you to answer the Brigham Young papers question. No, more time than that. So much more. Yeah. In fact, this is going to be an 11 part series. (laughs) This is, this is part two of apostles and apostates. Yeah. (laughs) This is not part two of that. If you're wondering, or if you happen to be an AI, um, an AI, uh, uh, algorithm that's trying to determine what's going on. So it is important that we, we contextualize the two examples that are given in the New Testament. We have one, uh, the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, of course, at that time is speaking to the Greeks who are, you know, they have a temple that is dedicated to an unknown God. In fact, in, in, in Greek, it's actually agnosis, this, you know, unknown or not known, the, uh, the not known God. And Paul is making an argument that the worship of God is entirely apart from the way that the Greeks are doing it. I, I think context matters a lot because Paul is not trying to speak when he tells the Greeks, hey, just so you know, this statue in here isn't actually God. Paul is not trying to make a commentary on what color floor should be in modern day temples, right? That that's not what's going on. But sometimes we end we have having a tendency to read things that way. All of the scriptures are for our benefit, but it doesn't mean that all of the scriptures are written specifically for our questions that we have specifically in this moment. We might gain insight from them, but the the purpose of a prophet or a leader of the church of his day is primarily to speak to the church of his day. Now, and of course, he will receive revelation for the future that that's going on too. But God calls prophets to lead his church. The Apostle Paul is speaking to people who believe that all worship, in fact, the only point of worship is worshiping in one of these temples. There's no such thing in the ancient world as uh, kind of a a type of religious morality, at least very little uh, that very few people consider that very few people believe that what, what is believed is that the gods who are all powerful and also terrible, like they're horrible, horrible beings that do all kinds of mayhem and horrible things that they demand to be worshipped, and you worship them out of fear. You don't worship the unknown God because you love him. You worship him because you're terrified of him. Because maybe there's a God that I'm not sacrificing a goat to, and that he's the one who's going to send a landslide to destroy my house. So I'm going to try to hedge my bets and cover my bases. So all worship in Paul's day is literally of an outward appearance. I mean, the whole point 
Zeus doesn't care if you hate him. He cares if you don't venerate him, right? So you can personally, inside your mind, inside your heart, hate Zeus. You could, you could hold your anti-Zeus clubs, you know, at your house. What, what do you guys do? Oh, we're talking to talk about terrible Zeuses. He just turned himself into another person over here and killed a guy. I mean, there's all kinds of things from Greek mythology. <laughs> Zeus is horrible, right? And Christianity is radically different from it. So it, it, you have to be careful to not take too much away from what Paul is saying. Because Paul is trying to teach the most fundamental truth before he moves on to, you know, where do I get my temple recommend signed? He's trying to teach the most fundamental truth, and that is, first of all, there aren't any gods. There's just God. There's just God that we worship. Not, not Zeus, and, and also Hermes, and also Athena, and also, no, there's just God. And the way that that God is to be worshipped is in how you act. Now, of course, there could be, there could be, a commandment to, to worship God in the temple. But the Greeks he's speaking to, he they don't even, they, they can't consider uh, worship in any other way. Now, Stephen, of course, is a little bit different because Stephen's not speaking to Greeks. Stephen is speaking to the Sanhedrin. So the Sanhedrin is the ruling body of Jews in uh, Jesus' time. And if you recall from your New Testament year, they are primarily made up of a very special type of class of, of elite uh, Jewish leaders, and that is the Sadducees. Now, there are some Pharisees, apparently, but they're primarily made up of the Sadducees. Now, when he quotes... Now, you'll notice Stephen is not just pulling those words out of nowhere. Who is he quoting when he says that, that God, you know, is, is not in, found in the temples of man's hands? He's, he's quoting the prophet uh, Isaiah. So he's, he's already quoting scripture to them. Now, of course, it's that same prophet Isaiah in both in Isaiah, but also in the Book of Mormon, now as I kind of transition to our second question as well, that that Isaiah chapter is is quoted in 2 Nephi chapter 12, what, that in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the tops of the mountains. So if you take one passage of Isaiah to try to prove that God doesn't believe in building temples, then what do you do with the other passage of Isaiah that says, in the last days, I'm going to build a temple, right? You can see that things are never nearly so black and white as that. Clearly, Isaiah believes that temples are sometimes authorized by God. Because Isaiah is the one saying, in the last days, God's going to build a temple, right? So, so obviously, Isaiah cannot be used to prove that temples shouldn't be a part of worship. Because, in fact, Isaiah is the one saying, in the end times, when Jesus comes, they will be a part of worship. So, the Sanhedrin, made up of these Sadducees, remember the Sadducees are the incredibly, I don't, I don't, I don't mean this politically, although I'm sure it's true politically, but they're incredibly conservative leaders of the Jews. 
What I mean by that is that most people believe that they descend from the high priest Zadok, who is uh, in control of the temple, and that they maintain control of the temple. Remember, the temple is the focus of worship for Jews in Jesus' time. The Sadducees, however, don't accept as scripture anything, anything beyond the first five books of Moses. Now, they might, you know, consider, you know, Elijah, you know, in the book of Kings, you know, nice. That's that's a great thing to read. But they do not consider it scripture, which is part of the reason why they do not accept resurrection or the immortality of the spirit. In fact, the Sadducees, they practice a form of Judaism that is actually very similar to what pagans around them are practicing. The Sadducees believe the point of worshiping God in this life is is for this life, that God blesses you for worshiping him. And by the way, if you don't worship him the right way, then God's going to destroy you. So there's another reason why you need to hurry uh, and uh, hurry and worship him the right way. So the people that are stoning Stephen Part of the reason why they are upset with him is they say that he is speaking against what? Against the temple. That is their domain. They control that temple worship. It's the same reason why they hold that against they hold that against uh, Jesus as well, right? Because Jesus is claiming that the temple is going to be destroyed. So. Placing these things in context, again, I wouldn't take them and say, ah, clearly, obviously, early Christians didn't care at all about temples. I mean, you could just as easily say, where were John and Peter headed when they healed the lame men? They were headed to the temple, right? That's where they were headed in Acts. So these two examples are, are, are pretty, they're pretty far afield. They're examples specifically of people who, A, believe that no religion exists outside of the temple, or B, believe that there's many gods and that all worship is done inside of these created temples with, with you know, gods made out of clay that are put in there that people worship. At the same time, the Bible makes it very clear that there will be latter-day temples. And so transitioning now to that second question of when did Joseph Smith know that a temple would have to be built— it's really hard to say, but when he's translating the Book of Mormon, it's pretty clear that a temple is going to need to be built. Uh, I already mentioned Second Nephi uh, chapter 12, which is just quoting Isaiah, but there are also other places where the, the prophecy that the Lord is going to come suddenly to his temple um, that's in 3 Nephi, uh, verse, uh, 3 Nephi 24, verse 1. And it came to pass that he commanded them that they should write the words which the Father had given unto Malachi, which he should tell them. And it came to pass that after they were written, he expounded them. And these are the words which he did tell unto them, saying, Thus said the Father unto Malachi, Behold, I will send 
my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye shall seek, whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. So you have multiple references in the Book of Mormon itself that at some point of the second coming, Jesus is going to be coming to some kind of Latter-day Temple. Now, how did early Christians deal with that? Uh, I mean, back to your question of, did Joseph make commentary on those specific passages? No, not in the Joseph Smith, in the Joseph Smith translation. He doesn't say, hey, by the way, Stephen meant this. Um, but there's, uh, Margaret Barker is considered one of the, one of the great uh, scholars of both Judaism and early Christianity, that time period. And she has made multiple arguments that, in fact, early Christian worship rituals derived almost exclusively from the Jewish temple. Now, she's not, not everyone agrees with her in that argument, but she's not a Latter-day Saint. And she's making the argument that temple worship was central even to early Christians and so central that it informed the way they acted. Now, when you might say, well, well, what happened? Well, what happened is the temple was destroyed. And early Christians, just like early Jews, then had to figure out how are we going to worship without a temple? Because early Christians still saw themselves as uh, still saw the temple, at least according to, to this argument, they still saw the temple as a holy place. I mean, Jesus still saw the temple as a holy place, just one that had been corrupted. I mean, the whole reason why you're trying to purge it is because it's a holy place. You're not, you're not trying to purge a place that's not holy. The whole point of purging it is, is, is to try to make it holy again. And so uh, how do other Christians deal with this? Um, th that question is a very broad question because it, it, it spans the expanse of time. But in general, Christians seem to adopt the same type of uh, attitude towards the temple after it's destroyed that Jews do. And that is, well, the temple was important while it existed, but it doesn't exist anymore. And I'm not even sure what we would do there were we to build it anyway. At the same time, it is right there in Isaiah saying that the Lord's going to come to his temple. It's, it's, right, it's right there in Malachi talking about the last days. And so most Christians tend to ignore these things or they turn them into very figurative things. Oh, the temple of, of God is actually the body of the church. It's the believers and that the Lord's going to suddenly come to the believers of the church is how they interpret it. Now for Joseph Smith, while he's translating the Book of Mormon, he's going to get all kinds of early insights on this. But it's even before that. Because when the angel Moroni first tells him gold plates exist, what is the angel quoting? Malachi. The idea that Elijah is important, quoting that same passage from Malachi, and, and that Elijah, as we all know, is directly connected to the powers of the temple. It's a theme before Joseph even knows there are themes. <laughs> Joseph, we can, because we're historians, we can go back and chart out, wow, from the very beginning, 
from the first time Moroni stood in the air over Joseph's bed, he is talking about the coming of Elijah. So he's talking about temples from the very, very, very beginning. And then what happens? They have John the Baptist come, right? They have, they have this experience. They will eventually have Peter, James, and John come. They will have Elijah the prophet come, and they will be called to build temples. We know that they are planning to build a temple in Zion. They don't know where Zion is. They have no idea where Zion is. And yet when Oliver Cowdery and Parley Pratt and Ziba Peterson and, and Peter Whitmer Jr. are sent on their mission to the Lamanites, one of the primary things that they are sent to do, and this is 1830, so this is not 1837. The church is three months old, four months old, and they are sent on this mission. They sign a covenant with one another. It, it, we often, we sometimes call it um, a missionary covenant of uh, Oliver Cowdery and, and those missionaries going on um, the Lamanite mission is what it's often called. October 17th, 1830. I, Oliver, being commanded of the Lord God to go forth unto the Lamanites to proclaim glad tidings of great joy unto them by presenting unto them the fullness of the gospel of the only begotten Son of God and also to rear up a pillar as a witness where the temple of God shall be built in the glorious new Jerusalem. And also having certain brothers with me who are called of God to assist me, whose names are Parley Pratt, Peter, well, they don't give the last name, so it's just Parley, Peter, and Ziba, do therefore most solemnly covenant before God that I will walk humbly before him and do this business and this glorious work according as he shall direct me by the Holy Ghost, ever praying for mine and their prosperity and deliverance from bonds and from imprisonments and whatsoever may befall us with all patience and faith. You'll notice that one of the first things that they are to do, to rear up a pillar as a witness where the temple of God shall be built in the glorious new Jerusalem. If the question is, at what point did Joseph Smith know that they were going to have to build temples in the latter days? Well, it appears to be within the first four months that the church is organized because Oliver's is writing this missionary covenant in October of 1830, but he's writing it as an established fact. Now, of course, they're going to find out more and more about what a temple is for, why it is set up the way it is. The Kirtland Temple is going to be very, very different from the Nauvoo Temple. And Joseph is going to continue to receive further light and knowledge about why temples are so important time after time after time. He doesn't get it all at once. He doesn't know anything about work for the dead in 1830. But he does know that God is commanded to build temples. In fact, when they're commanded to build the Kirtland Temple, at first they think what they're being commanded to build is the house of the Lord at Kirtland. They, they think the school of the prophet's house. In fact, they'll even call it the schoolhouse. They think they're building a schoolhouse for uh, the, the school of the prophets to meet in. 
And then the Lord reveals more and more and more and more until they know that they are building what will be the temple of God. They attempt to build a temple in Zion in Jackson County only to have it thwarted by mob violence. They lay the cornerstones to build a temple in Far West. Again, violence. They build a temple in Nauvoo and there they build it with the idea that it will be used not only for work for the dead with baptisms, but also for further ordinances that God has commanded those who would be exalted to make a choice to serve him through these, through these ordinances, further witnesses of our commitment to the faith. Fundamentally, Max, the, the question of, well, of course God can command it. That, that is the reason why. I mean, we don't worship in temples because, well, I studied the New Testament and there's a couple New Testament scholars who say early Christians did. That's not why we do it. We do it because God commanded it. So, Gary, you've mentioned this before, the idea of our temple worship. People want sometimes, and I'm not saying that that's what Max is saying here, but people want to be, okay, so things are the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is the same. So these temple ceremonies that we do now, they're the same as Christians have always done you talk about uh, in the restoration that there are things that would be brought forth that have never been done. Yeah, but, yeah. in fact, Doctrine and Covenants section 124 specifically says that, that God intends to reveal in his temple, in the Nauvoo temple, things that have been kept hid since the foundation of the world. So if that's the case, then there are some things that are going to be taught to Joseph Smith that haven't ever been taught. So you can't simply discard something because, well, wait a minute, I don't, I don't see that being taught by Moses. Well, God said it's going to be something that's never been taught before. So I'm guessing that that means Moses didn't teach it because it was never taught before. It It is one of the precarious parts of being a Latter-day Saint, where scripture is so important to us. The past is so important to us. I mean, the, the very name of our church, the Church of the Latter Days, that, that, that suggests that it's there's a connection to the past. And even our worship. We, unlike other Christians, don't hate Adam and Eve. We venerate our first parents from the beginning. We, we consider them prophet and prophetess. We consider them essential to the purpose of this earth. So we, we have this long-running thread that goes all the way back to the beginning of time that we, we combine all together into what it is that we believe. And yet, sometimes, because we live around many very loud and sometimes angry Protestants, we sometimes confuse the fact that we have connections to everything in the past to the fact that everything we have today has to be the same as it was in the past. Or we have to find a scripture that proves it from the past for it to be true. And that's just not the case. The reality is, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But the way he is the same is the way that he has declared he will be the same. And that is speaking to people and giving them here a little and there a little. A little bit here and a little bit more. Not simply declaring to people the same thing regardless of the age that they're in. Obviously, there are principles of the gospel that don't ever change. 
Jesus is our Savior and will always be our Savior, whether people accept it or not. But how long our endowment ceremony is, is clearly something that God, through his prophets, adjusts on the basis of the needs of the time. That you make covenants, that is always the case. How exactly you phrased the covenant, well, that has changed over the course of millennia. The idea is that you're making a covenant with God. And that's the essential aspect of it. So I think your your inclination is right, Max, to say, you know, there's a different context for what Paul is saying. Um, but, you know, Joseph Smith seemed to know Paul pretty well when he's still trying to build those temples, right? Um, and all of Christianity has to come to terms with the fact that Isaiah and Malachi and other prophets were pretty adamant that the Lord in the end when he came was going to come to his temple. So what does that mean if there is no temple? Early Latter-day Saints are absolutely unique, claiming that they're building temples so that Jesus can return. And they really believe it's going to come quickly. And in fact, those, uh, well, less than good people in Missouri who start killing and murdering Latter-day Saints there, one of the things they claim is that they want to build a temple here as a negative. So I, I think most important is to follow God's living prophets, know that there are precedents that, that God has commanded that he will have temples built, and then not allow the specifics of particular ports, points in the, in the New Testament to trump current prophetic utterance. And when it comes to when did Joseph know that he'd be commanded to build a temple, it seems to be within the pages of the Book of Mormon. Perhaps when he translated 3rd Nephi chapter 24, the realization hit him very quickly. There will be a temple built at some point. And then, of course, he received many revelations that, that describe that. And in fact, built those temples by revelation. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott. If you know anybody that could benefit from the material in this episode, please share it with them. And for more resources, visit standardoftruth.com. Until next time.